God be with you. So this is my first time preaching in the round. I promise to try to turn around and do my best to face all of you. It's a lot easier when you don't have your notes here, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, again, it's so good to be back. Um, it's been a nice week away, but I've missed you and excited to keep hanging out with you guys, exploring faith and spirituality and seeing where we go. So if you've been, if you've been around long enough, um, one of the things that we believe here at Red Deer Lake is that everything is spiritual. It's the way we acknowledge that not only is everything a spiritual issue, that even things like how we spend our money, going to the park, how busy we are, how we vote, even those things are spiritual issues, that they matter on a spiritual level. But saying that everything is spiritual is also a way to acknowledge that if we're attentive enough, if we're reflective enough, Everything has the potential to teach us about the spiritual life, about what it means to be human and alive in this world, about what it means to be connected with God, each other, and with ourselves. Make sense? Are you with me? Awesome, because that's important for what we're going to do next. So as some of you know, Don and I bought a house. If you're connected with me on Twitter, you know. I, don't, I, I struggle to bring it up here because I, I struggle with that boundary of sharing about my life versus sharing about my family's life. So if you follow me on Twitter, you know, but if not, welcome to the news. <laughs> and over the past month or so that we've lived there, uh, I keep saying to Don, like, oh, this is just like, and I'll riff off some spiritual issue, and Don will say, oh, you should go write that down for a sermon. And so, trusting that everything is spiritual, that everyday stuff can teach us about what it means to be human and alive in this world and draw us closer to the kind of life that Jesus opens up for us. And finally, have written down enough stuff about buying a house that can constitute a sermon. Here are four things buying a house has in common with a spiritual life. So if you've bought a house, maybe you can riff off of this. If you haven't bought a house, something to look forward to. But all of it to say, here, here is an example of what can happen if we're open and attentive enough. We can really go deeper and deeper and deeper into the kind of life that God opens up for us. So we'll offer four of them, and then I'll offer you some questions to help you go from here and maybe get pulled deeper into some of these questions and issues that we're rumbling with. Are you with me? Excellent. No one said anything, but I'm assuming you are. <laughs> Uh, let's say a prayer before we get into it. So God, here we are, waiting to hear from you. So I ask that you take these words, that you make them your own, that you speak in them, through them, under them, around them. Regardless, give us each a good and hope-filled word to chew on. So God, may you do your thing, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so first. So according to Google Maps, Don and I moved exactly 3.7 kilometers east of our new house, of our old house, rather. We moved from living at the corner of 17th and 35th to living at the corner of 17th and 14th. So it's just two neighborhoods over. It's really not a lot, is it? 
two neighborhoods over. It's not even a five-minute drive. What could happen, you would think, in 3.7 kilometers? Well, here's the thing that we discovered. A lot can happen in 3.7 kilometers. Just 3.7 kilometers east, there is a completely different energy to the city. Just 3.7 kilometers east, there are more locally owned businesses and more public spaces. Just 3.7 kilometers east, the city becomes infinitely more pedestrian and cyclist friendly. Just 3.7 kilometers east, and it feels like we're living in a completely different city. And it feels like home on a completely different level. 3.7 kilometers makes a huge, huge difference. And I think that has something to say to us as people who are trying to live the spiritual life that Jesus taught us. When Jesus came on the scene and started teaching people about what it means to be human and what it meant to be spiritual, what was the way that he invited people into that life? What were the two words that he would always say to people he would meet? Fishermen in particular. Follow me. Yeah, absolutely. And he would say that because the spiritual life that we're after the kind of life that he gave us, it's one about movement and growth. It's one about becoming, about moving step by step, deeper and deeper into a life connected with God, each other, and ourselves. And throughout the Bible, we can see Jesus inviting people into this kind of movement, calling people out of one thing and bringing them into another. And some of those movements were, were huge paradigm-shifting things. Wait, God loves me just as I am? Oh, that's a big one. Wait, I'm supposed to love my enemies? Whoa, another big one. Wait, wait, everybody belongs? Oh, another big one. But others, others you'd think are just 3.7 kilometers away. Wait, I should embrace questions and doubts? Wait, forgiveness takes multiple times? Forgiveness is a process? Wait, God pays more attention to this, my heart, than this, my head? Wait, wait, there are more ways of worshiping God than just one? Than the way I grew up with? The right way? The truth is, sometimes even the smallest of movements can make the biggest of differences. In the life that we're here pursuing, sometimes the things that we put off because, ah, oh, it's just a little movement. I don't need to do that. It's just 3.7 kilometers away. It's not going to make a difference. Sometimes the things that we rationalize away because they're so small and just that far away, those are the things that can make the biggest difference. Those are the things that can draw us deeper into the life with God. Those are the things that if we do them, you'll find yourself living in a whole new place, experiencing a whole new kind of life, and home will change as you know it. So some questions for you. As people on the move, as people who are invited into that kind of life, and these will be different for all of you, what's your 3.7 kilometers? What distance are you resisting traveling? 
What new home is waiting for you just down the road? So if one of those jumped out at you, if one of those kind of like, whoa, I don't want to answer that one, guess what? That's the one you get to answer. Uh, Spend some time with it this week. See where it takes you and rumble with those. So next. So I was sitting on the couch one morning. It was the first morning after we got our new couch because our old couch would not fit up the stairs. More on that later. Uh, And I was doing my morning routine. I was having coffee, I was meditating, reading the news, when all of a sudden I was hit with two conflicting emotions. The first one was feeling so incredibly grateful for all the things that made buying a house that we love possible. And the second one was knowing that while I sat on my couch, while I have my morning coffee basking in the sun without a care in the world, there are in the world 1.6 billion, B, billion, 1.6 billion people who are homeless. Or to bring it closer to home, that one in ten people in Calgary and 10% of Calgarian children live below poverty. That is 160,000 people in Calgary who struggle with homelessness, who have inadequate housing, and cannot enjoy the very thing that I was enjoying that morning. So sitting there, caught between gratitude and privilege, and if you know that tension, if you've ever been caught between gratitude and privilege before, it's a tricky one to navigate, isn't it? Anyone been there? Yeah, my bet is if you've somehow made it here this morning, you are privileged in some way. And no doubt you've been caught in that tension. And for most of us, it's probably and should be a daily reality. And it's a tricky tension to navigate. It's a tricky place to live because at the root of that tension is a really huge and important question. And that question is this. How do I live with when so many live without? How can I live with when so many live without? It's a heavy question, isn't it? It's a big one. Privilege, once you notice it, will become extremely uncomfortable. Now, as humans, we don't really like living in tension, do we? Does anyone enjoy that? No, none of us do. It's something that we will do anything possible to get rid of. And we do all kinds of things to get, get, to get rid of it. And when it comes to the tension of gratitude and privilege, um, some of us will try to get out of it through the penance of shame and guilt and just feeling so miserable about what we have in ourselves that we don't even enjoy it. Others go over here and they just tackle it by ignorance. Like, oh, if I don't, if I don't pay attention to it, it'll go away. And if you've ever tried those, how do they work out for you? They don't work very well, do they? But the way our tradition, the Jesus tradition, uh, it offers a different way altogether to deal with this tension of gratitude and privilege. And it's a way that doesn't really help us escape it, but more so helps us live within it. Because baked into our tradition 
is this idea that the only way, the only way you can survive and have a life that is full and meaningful and beautiful and living in that tension is through generosity. And we're called to practice generosity because baked into our faith is the scandalous idea that we are all one. That we are all connected. That we are all responsible for one another. That we all matter. And for those of us living in privilege, whether that's wealth, whether that's gender, material, education, race, whatever it is, for those of us living with, for those of us who have, and that's every single one of us in this room, the way we live and survive and even thrive in that tension is by being generous. It's by sharing our clothes with the naked, our food with the hungry, our medicine with the sick. It's by using our power to make space for the immigrants, the refugees, the homeless, the marginalized. It's by using our voice to say black lives matter, indigenous lives matter, that creation matters. It's by giving others the benefit of the doubt, by assuming you are doing your best. And by offering, as Gary often says, giving people unconditional positive regard, right? We live in that tension by recognizing that we are all connected, that we all have the responsibility, and because of that, the only thing we can do, the only way we can live is by lifting up whatever we have, giving thanks for it, breaking it, sharing it, and doing what we can to make sure that everyone has enough. So you'll never escape that tension. But you can create a life where it doesn't separate you from others, but bends you towards them through generosity. So some questions for you. How will you be generous this week? What privileges do you have that need to be shared? What can you do to turn your generosity, to turn your gratitude, I'm sorry, into generosity? So again, if one pops out to you, write it down, remember it, put it in your phone, um, and rumble with that one later on and see, see where it takes you. Let the Spirit do her thing. All right, so the next one. So that couch that would not fit up the stairs. So we learned very quickly when the movers showed up to move our old stuff into our new place that the couch would not fit up the stairs into our main living area. There's, we spent half an hour trying to figure it out. Unless you saw the thing in half, it would not fit up the stairs. It was not going to happen. Anyone experienced that before? Yeah, I'm sure if you've moved, you have experienced the inevitable conclusion that some stuff just won't fit anymore, right? The truth about moving is that sometimes you just can't take it with you. Sometimes your stuff just won't fit in your new home anymore. That's the truth about life too, isn't it? If this life is all about movement, if this life is about growing and becoming, if it's about moving step by step towards the kind of life that Jesus calls us to have, a life of dignity and value and belonging, a life of 
seeing God moving in and through everyone, a life bent towards justice and peace and compassion and wholeness. The spiritual task is not just to look at what's 3.7 kilometers ahead. The spiritual task is also to look at what needs to be left behind. Because the truth is, as we move, as we grow, as we become, sometimes things just won't fit anymore. And we're not just talking, let's just name this, because this is really the, the, the tension it pulls us into. We're not just talking about the false labels, the false narratives, and the lies that we've been given. Those are wonderful things that we need to live behind as we learn about grace and unconditional love. We can leave those lies behind and step out into new life. That's relatively straightforward. Easier said than done, but cool, yeah, I get that. But the real tension, the real tension is that as we grow and as we move forward in our lives and faith, the fact is that sometimes the things that we love Sometimes those things that nourish you and comfort you and bring you all sorts of satisfaction, sometimes those things too need to be left behind because sometimes they just don't fit anymore. On Friday, I was out with uh, an old friend that we went to high school with, and we ended up talking about where we're at spiritually because it's been 15 years, I think, since we've seen each other. And we both shared about how we're in different places. And Adam shared a bit about how his theology of God has changed. That for him, God's no longer kind of up there in a the cloud, this God that we have to appease through our worship songs and our hands in the air and doing particular things. But rather, he's evolved to a place where, no, God's kind of down here and all around us. And it's less about worshiping God and more about communing and connecting with God. And I agreed, like, yeah, I'm there too. And Adam said, the hardest part about that is that I can no longer go to church because nearly 99% of the hymns no longer work with how I now understand God. The praise band says, put your hands up in the air. He's like, that doesn't work anymore. Or the hymns are about God, come down, spirit, come down. Like, that no longer works anymore. And he said the hardest part about that is those are the things that used to bring him such joy, such nourishment. He used to play in bands and lead worship. Those are the things that brought so much joy. And the hardest part he's had to do in the past 15 years was leave those things behind and trust that new songs, new spiritual practices will open up that can open up to the kind of God he believes in now. And maybe some of you are in his boat. Maybe some of you have experienced the same thing. Maybe some of you have gone through that movement and you're kind of holding these things that, yeah, it was once so beautiful and so good, but I don't know what to do with you now. You don't really fit. So some questions for you. What is it in your life, whether it's spiritual or otherwise, What's not needed anymore? What won't fit up the stairs as you move forward on your spiritual journey? What space needs to be freed up for something new? This might be the hardest question we'll ask you. So again, take one that resonates with you the most 
take it home and see what it does. And finally, our friend Lori is an interior decorator and designer. And she came over to the house just after we moved in to help us figure out not only what we do with the space, but how can we create a space where we can both call home? How do we create the space that's this mixture of minimalist, industrial meets mid-modern century? And how do, we, how do we create that together so we can both feel at home there? And so we were talking about what that's like, and she interrupted us and said, no, the only question and piece of advice that I can give you is this. And she said, it's all about the couch. Start with the big piece, that central piece, things like the couch, and go from there because everything else will need to revolve around that. The couch, she was saying, will shape the rest of the room. It's all about the couch. Jesus said something similar once. Uh, He was having a conversation with some religious leaders about what the greatest commandment is. And they were trying to decide what the, what the one commandment, the one teaching that summed up everything else that was in the scriptures. And they were essentially asking, what's the couch? What's that one thing that if you get that right, everything else will fall into place? Everything else just connects. Which is really a conversation about how to be, how to exist. Is a conversation about what's the one mode of being that we are called to embody and inhabit. So huge, huge, important question. And so someone was arguing that, oh, you need to believe and worship God with all your heart, your mind, and all your strength. Do that, you're good to go. And another argued that, no, it's about honoring the Sabbath. Practice that, and you're, you're good to go. And another was saying, no, it's about being kosher. If you do that, then everything will fall into place. And then they turn to Jesus and they ask, Jesus, what do you think? What's the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say? What's that one? Love one another. Yeah, love God, love neighbor, love one another. Love. 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 As people trying to figure out how to live, move, and have our being as people trying to figure out, what am I supposed to furnish my life with? Love is the couch. That's the one thing we need to get central in order to live and exist. Jesus was saying that when it comes to creating both the kind of lives we're trying to create, but also our individual encounters and interactions, the place we need to begin and end is always asking ourselves, what is the loving thing to do? Begin there, Jesus is saying. Don't begin with getting what you want. Don't begin with a budget. Don't begin with personal preferences. Don't begin with shame, fear, or aggression. Begin with the loving thing to do. Get the couch. Get that set up first. Learn the rhythms of that first. And everything else, he was saying, will flow out of there and help you feel at home in the place that you live. Because love, Jesus is saying, that's the couch. That's where it begins and ends. Start there, and everything else will be good to go. So some questions for you. 
Do you need a new couch? Maybe you're in a season of your life where something else occupies the centerpiece of your room. Maybe something else is dictating your decisions. Maybe it's time to get rid of it. Maybe it's time to leave it behind because you need a new couch. How can love be the centerpiece of your life? What can you do differently? How can you let love better flow from you? And speaking to us as a community, how can love better define us? What can we do, whether it's this in a circle, whether it's more in from the coal, whether it's more whatever, what can we do as a community that lets love flow from us into those who need it the most? So again, pick whatever one resonates the most with you. Sit with it. See where it takes you. So ideally, you'll be leaving here with four questions to rumble with this week. And ideally, you'll be leaving here with the attitude and the posture that I can be open to everything around me and that can take me deeper into life if I'm attentive and reflective enough because everything is spiritual. Grace and peace be with you.